Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Always a pleasure to be back with you, Sojourn. Uh, part of my family is here, uh, for sure, and so uh, part of my family and my heart. So uh, thank you for having me out, and thank you for uh, opening us in worship today, Ben. Um, that song ended us with just a prime segue into the topic today, near drawing. And, and I think that we'll unpack this for the next few moments together. But I changed the phrase from drawing near to near drawing for a purpose. And that song just showed the way that Christ really wants to connect with us and how we long to connect with him. There's an uh, author, Dane Ortland, who's wrote a couple books, one deeper and one gentle and lonely. And he writes this quote from, from another author, John Owen. And he says of Jesus, he's speaking of Jesus in the commentary of Hebrews, the high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. He no more casts off the poor sinners for their ignorance and wanderings than a nursing father should cast away a suckling child for its crying. Thus it ought to be with the high priest, and thus it is with Jesus Christ. He is able, with all meekness and gentleness, with patience and moderation, to bear with the infirmities, sins, and provocations of his people, even as a nurse or a nursing father bears with the weakness of a poor infant. So let's play a game. This game is, is wonderful for the newlyweds in the audience this morning, but also for those that have been married for a long period of time. And this game is Would You Rather? And I think it just breeds a prime example of what... Uh, Jesus is really referring to and what John Owen and Dane are referring to in their books as well is Jesus really wants this close relationship with us and we all know that our relationship with Christ is not based on a religion but a friendship he no longer calls us slaves but he calls us friends right so this game is would you rather would you rather live in Hawaii by yourself, for the remaining of your days, by yourself, solo, isolated, without your best friend, without your spouse, without your significant other, or would you live in Death Valley with your significant other and your wife's spouse? Oh, I, I, <laughs> Some of us would joke and say, wow, Hawaii. But others would say, no. We would really love to spend, regardless of where we are, with what our significant other, right? And even Martin Luther puts it this way. He says, I would rather spend eternity in hell with Jesus than apart from him in heaven. And I think we get the point, right? There's, there's this deep connection of relationship that Jesus is longing for and we are longing for with him. So it's kind of a fun game, but it does... Uh, put together this, this deep connection that there are periods of time in our life, um, the longing for Christ, um, but his character through those periods of time is he always pursues us. He cannot not pursue us. And we're going to learn about one of those today. But let's just 
pause in prayer and give this time over to him. Father God, we just thank you so much for being who you are. We thank you for uh, your son, Jesus. We thank you for him daily the ultimate sacrifice and giving his ultimate uh, sacrifice of his life on the cross for us. Um, because we know that he longs to have connection. He longs to have a relationship with us. He pursues us. And so, Father, as we unpack the scriptures here, we just ask that it would uh, bring about a new sense of who you are, a new sense of, of identity to us and how we relate to you. Um, and so, Father, we just give this time to you. We thank you for it. In your precious name, amen. So it's been a while since I've been with you, but I'm Gerald Skeeth. I'm a missionary here in Portland with my wife Amy and our family. Uh, we are uh, excited to be with you. We've been part of multiple different things uh, in Portland, and so we're good friends with Matt. And if you're on that, hi, family. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying the vacation out there. So, uh, um, yeah, thanks for letting us uh, be a part of your lives. And uh, so thank you for sharing this journey with us. But um, like I said before, we know that our lives with Jesus are not based upon a religion, but on a relationship. But <clears throat> what we see is often periods of time where we don't feel that connection. Some of you might not even feel that connection today. Some of you might feel distant, or separated, or apart, or you have friends um, that you feel like, oh my goodness, they, they're just not connecting. In fact, 41 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus actually walks away from the unbeliever. Now, granted, some of those stories overlap. So there might be a similar story in Matthew or a similar story in Mark. But Jesus actually walks away from the unbeliever. For example, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've done all these great things, Jesus. I've, I've kept all the law. Everything is happy-go-lucky. What can I do to be saved? And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And the rich young ruler walks away. Now, did Jesus run after him and say, just kidding, friend? Like, that was the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Like, I want to welcome you in. Like, it's my bad. Like, do that halfway or, or shimmy around the topic or whatever. No. Jesus let him go. And there was times, too, when Jesus actually got in the boat and rode away and said, hey, I'm, running, I'm rolling to the other side of the, the lake. Or there's times where he slips through the crowd and he walks away from the Pharisees and they just don't have the, the opportunity to connect with him. He's just gone. He's away from that crowd. But then there is a few moments, the plenty of scriptures that flip that narrative and Jesus actually leans into the situation. Jesus actually connects, pauses, stops the story, stops the the whole crowd of people and takes a moment to connect. And that's what we're going to digest this morning. He's actually magnetically drawn to these two men walking the Maya's path. He could not leave this earth without connecting to these two men as they were traveling, as they were walking. And so we're going to look at that this morning a little bit of what were some of those attributes that Jesus felt so compelled, so magnetically drawn to in their lives, in their situation, that he could not leave this earth without connecting with them. 
And these weren't amazing people. These were ordinary people. These were you and I walking down the street, and Jesus felt like he needed to connect with them before he left. So let's turn to, to Luke 24. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 27 this morning. And you can stand with me if you wish, or you can read along in your Bibles, or if you're at home, you can uh, connect uh, um, through your app or whatever. Um, but yeah, please join me. I'll just read it out loud together. And bear with me, it is a longer passage, but uh, we'll get through it. That very day, two of them were going to the village. So a little bit of background. Jesus had just passed away, and the disciples had dispersed, and these couple of these two guys were walking very sadly, very despairingly, and they were processing the events that just had. And so inserts um, the Emmaus Road. The very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and, we, and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said it. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We're going to focus a little bit on verse 15. Jesus himself drew near. This is why I call it the art of near drawing. What does it mean to draw near? Well, the word actually is engizo in the Greek, to bring near, to join one thing to another. The concept's actually mentioned 42 times in the New Testament. But what was different about this story than those 41 other times that Jesus walked away? What was the connection? What was the, the pivotal point that drew Jesus into these two man lives? I think the main point was their posture. I think that they had unanswered questions and a curiosity that could not be let go without Jesus answering their questions. 
What was their posture at the beginning? How did they feel? They were sad. They were really despaired. They were discouraged. They were like, I couldn't believe this. This guy was going to be the one to redeem us. This was the, 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 the amazing king of our world. And the, the narrative, the story went vastly different than what they had anticipated. They were sad. They were discouraged. They were downcast. But look at how Jesus starts with the question. It's amazing that he wants to draw them out. Obviously, Jesus knows the story. He didn't need answers from these guys. But he wanted to hear their hearts. He wanted to connect with them. I think this is a key element of how we near draw to our friends, to our family, to people around us that have yet to encounter Christ is we are always, I've heard it said, we are always one question away from bringing the gospel into someone else's lives. And yet Jesus starts with these two men with asking questions. These guys were curious. They had unanswered questions. Their posture was of inquiry, of, of desire to know the not yet known. He asks questions. What is the conversation that you're holding? Was it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? You know what I think Jesus was trying to do here too? Is take some of that ambiguity, that uncertainty, that discourse of heart, and transition it into confidence of restored faith. And you want to know why I believe this? Because in Hebrews 4.14 he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think that Jesus was really trying to transition or exemplify a level of confidence in the actions that had to take place. Him on the cross, the resurrection, Things that the women, they even called it a vision of angels. These guys had yet to really put their confidence in the things that have been seen and witnessed in the last few days. So I think Jesus was trying to draw them here and to really connect with their hearts. It's funny that the word near also is referenced six other times in Matthew and Mark, as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What were these guys' questions? He was the one that was sent to redeem us. He was the one that was going to restore things that hadn't been restored, relationships that hadn't been connected. Why, why didn't it happen? 
And Jesus was saying, no, I am drawing near because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is close by, friends, because they had yet to recognize him, right? They had yet to really know who Jesus was even as they were walking. And Jesus was really moving their hearts nearer and nearer to them, nearer and nearer to, to who he was as a being. He's transitioning their curiosity, their inquiry, their loneliness, their depression into hope, into to the kingdom of hand is right in front of you. I want to be near. I want to be drawn to you. I cannot not help be walking alongside these two men in the present. How many times are we truly in the presence with our friends, our family, our neighbors? What is distracting us? What is keeping us from seeing that true, authentic Christ? So if the posture is of such that he is welcoming to inquiry, he's welcoming to curiosity, he's welcoming to all different emotions about who he is, now we have to beg the question, how do we near draw to him? How do we uh, find a way to really captivate the heart of Christ? I once read a book called The Faith of Leap. And it kind of uh, helped me with my title too, because doesn't the faith of leap seem backwards? Often in big decisions, whether it be to to marry a lady or not marry a lady, or to, um, to change jobs or not change jobs, or to, to go to Africa or not go to Africa, or many, many, many big decisions in life, right? I think we often call that a leap of faith. We don't necessarily call that a faith of leap. But the, without uh, giving away the whole book, because it's a great book, the analogy goes something like this. We often call a tougher, impossible decision a leap of faith. How many of us in here have made such decisions? Yeah, most of us have, right? I can say that I have jumped out of an airplane twice. A perfectly good airplane, a perfectly good, sunny, beautiful day, but I have jumped out twice. Both of those times to my wife's dismay. But the question is, does the faith come when the parachute opens? Or does the faith come when you make that step to get on the plane? And I think both are significant opportunities. But one actually is faith in action. It's faith in the moment. It's doing the action of faith prior than actually discerning the result thereof. And many a times we're like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. But oftentimes, sometimes knowledge attributes to behavior change, but so does practice. And I think that these next few steps on your drawing are actually things that we should practice and allow that to draw others near. This is why the, the near for me is, is first before the draw. I think that there's people in our lives today that are near. 
I think that there are people that are near to Christ, near to us, near to us in proximity at the workplace, at the neighborhood, in the gathering. Uh, there's people that are near that need to be drawn to Christ. And what if we practiced near drawing instead of drawing here? By changing our behavior, we're actually growing in faith. So I know it sounds strange to say you're drawing, but I think that's the point of what we're getting at today. Jesus allowed those men to search for those answers, to, to leave those uh, questions for, for seven miles. How long do you think it would take you to walk seven miles if you're downcast? We recently did a 5K walk, and it took us about an hour and a half. So my guess is close to two hours. That's a long time or something. And I think that's part of the first way that we can near draw with our friends. How do we? Time. Time and togetherness. There's two things in this passage. We didn't touch on it because it was in the latter verses of that. But verse 29 also says that they urged him to stay for dinner. So there was something about Jesus that they had not yet been able to answer during a seven-mile walk. So within that two hours of slowly, gently, grueling dirt roads and sandals, talking, 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 there was not enough time to unpack. I recently did a road trip with my colleague of 3,100 miles. Drive 3,100 miles. Google estimated that drive to be 48 hours. We processed and processed and processed. And it didn't feel like, even when we came back, that some of the things were on, they were still left unanswered. And so we, it is the same with these guys with Jesus. They had, they had walked, they had shared life, and they're like, no, we have more to unpack. And so time and togetherness. And so I was thinking through this week of like, well, what's the equivalent of sharing a meal? Obviously, Jesus walks with us. He's present through the Holy Spirit in our lives. But what's the equivalent of actually sitting down and sharing a meal with Jesus? We don't have that luxury physically. We long to. We, we want to be there with him and share a meal. But what is the equivalent today? Is it simply just taking a, uh, simply taking the communion? What is it really for us to spend time with Jesus today? There's something revealing about the character of, character of Christ that happens when we spend time with Him. It's so beautiful today to have newlyweds in the audience, but also those that have been married for a long period of time. And the joy of knowing each other for a few years is equally joy-filled of knowing someone for a long period of time because you continue to reveal new things. Oh, you don't like that after 20 years? No, I really don't. <laughs> no, I don't like the toilet paper over. I want to go under. Whatever, right? These, these small issues that you're like, oh my goodness, 
I didn't realize. But we continue to learn things, and it's the same with Jesus, that over and over and over. So the best thing that I can assume as having dinner or having a lunch or having a meal with Jesus is taking time out of our day, really setting that aside. Intentional prayer time, intentional reading of his word, to really take that time. Hebrews 7.19 suggests that a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And I think these times in his word, these times in his quiet time, are so important to connect with the heart of God because if you look at our world today and you talk about a better hope, it's pretty easy to see. It's pretty easy. Even driving over here and through Portland, we see tents, we see graffiti, we see brokenness all around. And there is a better hope. But if we rely on the, the tools of this world for that better hope and the understandings of this world for a better hope, we'll never get there. We really need to spend time in the Word. And I know, through the busy schedule and through the stats and everything, it's so much easier to pop on a YouTube or pop on a quick uh, video or flip through the, the, the verse of the day. But it is essential. These guys spent two hours and their, their, their questions were unanswered. We've been challenged lately to even spend an hour a day with Christ for even like a month, a short period of time. And it's a challenge. But the things that we learn together are so important. And so I would say that instead of actually sitting down and sharing a meal, which we will do in eternity with Jesus, those times in his word are so important. Because how did Jesus model this? Where did he go? He started with these guys through the Old Testament. He went to the Word. He revealed the Old Testament starting with Moses, beginning with Moses. And the only way that we're going to be revealed and, and, and connected to Christ is being in His Word and spending time and togetherness with Him. Because he is the better hope. Does our world look hopeless? Absolutely. And I love at the end of these, this passage, the guys actually switch the questions. Jesus asked all the questions in the beginning. And then these two guys, after they shared dinner with Jesus, they started asking questions. Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked on us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us. There are things that we can learn over spending time with Christ. And I love that. I love that, analogy, that silly analogy of would you rather. I've been married for over 20 years and I would rather spend my, my time in death valley with my wife because I continue to learn about her. I continue to learn how, how her strengths offset my weaknesses and her, her characteristics are a, a balance and a, a beautiful onset to my weaknesses and my things that I need to grow in and part of that sanctification process. How much more is it with Christ? 
How much more? He wants to share time with us. And his, being in, in the Word reveals who He is and how much uh, He wants to connect with us. He opened the Scriptures. Where did Jesus go for answers? Did He start um, as He walked them through from beginning with Moses? Yes, He did. The current reality of our day is everybody seems to be, or a lot of people even in the church, are turning to other other means or other answers outside of Scripture. I was even listening to a podcast the other day, and they were saying, well, historians were comparing their history to Scripture, and there was no alignment, and they were talking through, dialoguing through, which is truth, the historians or the Bible. Friends, Jesus went straight to the Bible. He went straight to the Scriptures. Let me reveal who I am through the Scriptures. All the way from Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your heart, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps, doorposts of your house, and on your gates. So time and togetherness, the scriptures are so vital. And we, friends, whether we memorize scripture or whether we read it, we need to have it on our hearts. That needs to be the reflexive nature of where we turn in a hopeless world. So you ask me, how do we near draw the day? Time, togetherness, in his word. But here's a promise that he shares in James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love how the prodigal son's father is on this, right? I love Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. It is such a powerful demonstration of how God really wants to draw near to us. Here you have two sons. One obviously runs away, squanders the dad's money, and comes back. But as he's coming back, the dad unashamedly, lavishly, pulls up his garment and runs headlong into in a warm embrace with his son. He will draw near to you. He wants to connect with you. He cannot not connect with you. Your identity as someone who's been redeemed by Christ allows you the freedom to have him run unashamedly after you to initiate that. And if we draw near to him, he will draw near. Matthew 10, 7 even says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is that same word. That near drawing is at hand. That being close to Christ is at hand. It is tangible for you today, friend. It is tangible for those broken here outside of this building today. It is tangible for those that want to draw near to him as promised in James. 
I love uh, both of Dane Orland's books have been key to my life this year, but he closes with one. I forgot if it was Gentle and Lonely or in the book Deeper, but he says, Jesus' heart is drawn out to you. Nothing can chain his affection to heaven. His heart is too swollen with enduring love. Friends, his heart is swollen to be close to you. He wants to connect with you. Time together and in his word offers the platform for that curiosity and those questions to be answered. Take the time to draw near so that you can near draw others to him. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are an initiator, God that you run lavishly after us. We thank you so much for connecting. We thank you for your desire to be with us. We thank you that, that you could not. There's, there's more examples of this in the Bible where you couldn't leave this world without restoring, without making right, without answering some of these questions. Father, we thank you for the promise that if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. Father, we pray that we would go out and proclaim that near drawing ability to our friends and neighbors, those who have yet to experience it, but also that we would encourage each other in this. That we might feel lowly today, we might feel disparaged, uh, discouraged today, we might feel uh, depressed the change of seasons, the end of summer, the start of the school year, anything, God, that might create uh, tension within us, we ask that you would come clear, near, that you would draw near. Father, we just thank you so much for loving on us so lavishly so that we can love others so lavishly. We give the rest of the day and the week ahead to you. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.